listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. Today, we're going to be diving into some sauces that should be in your pantry and in your kitchen that will help your foods become a little more anti-inflammatory, plus some beef sticks that can help your kids' lunch become a little cleaner or maybe keep your blood sugar a little more stable between meals. Going live today with Jason Burke, who's the founder and CEO of the new Primal and Noble Maid. Welcome, Jason. What's up? How are you? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. I just made all that up. I had a bunch of notes and then I was like, <laughs> what do I really think about beef sticks and sauces? Okay. So quickly, we were talking before this and I know we mentioned, you know, the new primal is your beef sticks, which by the way, my kids love the snack mates. They grab the turkey one every time they're in the grocery store. And then you have noble made, which is like salad dressing, seasonings, and then you have buffalo sauces, barbecue sauces, things that can really elevate your dishes. You mentioned that one is FDA and one is USDA. Will you kind of explain the difference between this? Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, those are just under different regulatory bodies. Anything that is meat-centric in the U.S. that gets distributed nationally is under the regulatory body of the USDA. And so they have approvals over your labels, your label claims. They, they're the ones that ensure that the claims you make on your labels are accurate and you can back that up with you know your specifications and, and your the chain of custody with all of your raw materials and so on. And the USDA is very hands-on inside of the manufacturing facilities in that they show up every day. Wow. So it's not one it's not like they just randomly audit or whatever. There is for any facility in the US that has a a manufacturing facility that processes meat products that it, with the intent to distribute them to the general public, the USDA has jurisdiction over it and they show up every single day. So it's a really large body of people that... Uh, An enterprise, yeah. It's huge. Now, the FDA is similar, but they don't show up every day in your facility. They can do random audits whenever. They're not going to like... You don't have to submit your labels to them for approval before printing them. But if you do something wrong and they catch it, that's when you're in trouble. So it's a little more reactive on the FDA side much more proactive on the USDA side. Okay, so tell me, with the new primal beef sticks, it says grass-fed beef. What does that mean? So uh, I just want to clarify one one thing. You know, we make and we started with grass-fed beef 12 years ago before people were even talking about that. We make more poultry products today than we do beef products. Interesting. But the grass-fed beef stick is still... People love chicken. Yeah, they do, especially for the kids. We do chicken and turkey sticks, and and our chicken consumption in the U.S. has increased exponentially in the last fifty years. But but grass-fed beef, you know, these are animals that get to eat grass their whole life, and that's what they were designed to do and 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 meant to do. You know, cows do a really good job grazing and eating grass, and it's really great for soil. It's really great for the animal. It's really great for the farmer, and they're much healthier animals in general. You know, we adopted in the U.S. a, a model of farming based around animal feedlots. And so what happened was, is, you know, 
we said, hey, we can fatten up a cow much faster if we can feed them corn and soy and all of these other things. And oh, let's actually just confine them to a very small space so that all they do all day long is eat. And so they quickly fatten up so we can hurry up and, and get them into the food system. That has the industrialization of that part of our agriculture has yielded really poor benefits, both to the farmers, to the cat, to the animals themselves and to consumer health. And so grass fed beef is really the way it was meant to be raised. They were meant to graze and eat grass and not be finished on all this garbage. And then you don't have to feed them antibiotics because, you know, what happens is when they're eating a poor diet, they get sick. And so, you know, we committed to that years ago. I mean, when I, when I uncovered this thing called paleo circa 2009, after both of my parents got sick, it was, it was just really obvious that like, okay, if you're going to eat protein and and, and animal-based protein, you should source those from the healthiest animals, the ones that were treated the best. And you you should support the farmers who are doing the right thing. And so that that was the pivot we made years and years ago. And when we introduced grass-fed beef jerky, the USDA didn't even know how to label it. Wow. You invented grass-fed beef on the USDA (laughs) label. Amazing. They denied it. They were like... Oh my gosh. They're like, there's no difference. Who cares? It's just beef. Okay. I always tell people you are what your cow eats. Most people don't realize that even when they're eating their dairy, their cheese, their yogurt, it's like, no, you can't just grab any skim milk or any milk off off the shelf. But take me back. I know you've mentioned 2009 a few times. Like, Did you have a personal health journey or it sounds like maybe something along your parents was involved? How did this, how did this idea of making cleaner foods come to mind? No, it was was totally my parents. They both got sick. They're both diagnosed with chronic illnesses. Both were directly related to diet and lifestyle. And I simply, I remember my mom was having a surgery and I remember asking the doctor if I should be worried, what should I be looking out for? Is this hereditary? Is there something I should be thinking about? And he said, man, just, he said, clean up your diet, make sure you're eating really well, you know, get some regular exercise in and you won't have to worry about any of these things that they're dealing with. And so I went home and just took a really keen interest in food and its impact on our health holistically. And, you know, I I don't consider myself a dietary expert. I don't think there's a one size fits all dietary model for, for people out there. I just, I discovered paleo as a framework early on that made a lot of sense was easy for me to follow. And it was something that I could adopt and, and stick to. And so that was really like the genesis of my journey was my parents getting sick and then me learning, you know, how to read food labels and then how to cook for myself. And that really was kind of what, what started it all. Now I still live kind of, you know, I'm 80, 20, sometimes 70, 30, you know, I still think you should live your life and enjoy the cookies every now and then. But I, you know, it's, it's, it was just sort of the, the processed food diet that we consume so much of here and, you know, mixed with lots of other things with, you know, really, crappy ingredients along the way. So I I learned how to sort of augment that in my own life just for to make sure that I end up like my parents. Yeah. Did your parents take the idea that diet could help them or were they kind of struggling to to jump on that bus? Yeah. You know, it's interesting the the polarization between the two. My mom passed away a few years ago after a decade long battle with, with cancer. She changed her diet completely. And I fully think that it extended her life mm-hmm. almost to the point where she was annoying to me. You know, if like I brought something over, she'd be like, wait, let me see the food label. I'm like, really? You don't trust me to bring, you know, like it was like, yeah, she had gotten to the point where she was really, really passionate, but my dad never cared. Like he just, you know, the doctor told him he, you know, all the things that he could and couldn't eat. And he went right back to, to whatever. So 
some of that's generational. Some of that's just, you know, mindset that's stubborn and not going to change. But my, my mom went hardcore in the opposite direction. Okay. I like this story. It it reminds me a lot of mine. My journey began reading labels, realizing like the paleo lifestyle worked. Okay. Now I need to figure out which things have real ingredients, which don't. And my dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer Mm -hmm. and he had like a four month wait before getting robotic surgery at Johns Hopkins. And him and my mom called me like, hey, can you help dad get healthy before surgery? I'm like, okay. So I went and got eight bags of groceries and I told them basically, eat all these things. And when you run out, just go back to the store and grab it. And in three months, he lost 35 pounds, got off of blood pressure, got off of cholesterol medication. And his PSA number, which tracks your prostate cancer, was actually decreasing in his blood work without getting any treatment, like waiting for the surgery. And so I was like, whoa, okay, maybe I have some information that could help more people. And here I am today spreading the message of, hey, there are brands out there when you think you have to get rid of sauces in your life. Like, oh, I can't eat buffalo sauce. I can't eat barbecue sauce. It's got too much sugar. Or I can't have any types of dressings because it's too much fat. These things, hopefully together, we're making people aware that like, no, actually, when you read the labels and you choose ones made with real anti-inflammatory ingredients, those can work for you instead of against you. So that's 2009. Is that when the new Primal was born? Sort of. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, so I started making, cooking most of my meals and then I would take, I have a really bad sweet tooth. Mm. So I would take desk snacks to work to stay away from like the candy machine at the office. You know, and I had trail mix in my desk and I had, you know, just miscellaneous things, but I was making homemade beef jerky and it was really just like a good high quality protein source that would satiate me and and keep me away from the candy, but it always disappeared out of my desk drawer and uh, all my friends would just steal it. Like every time I go get up and go to a meeting or something like that, I come back and half my bag would be gone. And so I finally started making people start paying me for it. Yeah. And they did. And they would like put sticky notes on $10 bills and $20 bills and say, Hey, make me a few bags of that. And that's cool. I was making that home, like in a little tabletop dehydrator. Suddenly I had six of those in my little condo kitchen. And my wife went out on a girl's night out and came home And basically was like, get the stuff out of the house. Like everything we have smells like smoke. Everyone thought I had just come from a barbecue. Oh my gosh. And that was kind of this like aha moment. Like, are we on to something? Yeah. I rented a 200 square foot shared kitchen space, got it under USDA inspection. And then that was my part-time job for about a year and a half. And then September of 2012, I left my day job full-time to go into the better for you meat snacks business. And because I thought, you know, look, if I'm going to go into the food industry, and so if I'm going to go disrupt categories, let's start with one of the one that's the dirtiest in the whole store, which is beef jerky, you know, and it had, you know, let's take the gas station out of beef jerky. I mean, people have been dehydrating meat for preservation purposes for a millennia, but we've really sort of, you know, made it really terrible in, in the last 50 years. And so we thought, let's start there and let's clean it up with, you know, high quality protein source, clean ingredient label. And let's give consumers an option to choose from. And so that's kind of what kicked it all off. So what's the defining difference between, I think most people are used to beef jerky, and these are actually meat sticks 
what was your reason for kind of doing that and not doing the jerky? Because it sounds like you started off with jerky, yeah? I actually started with jerky in a jerky trail mix. Like we would mix the beef jerky with nuts and dried fruit and vacuum seal it and make it all, interesting. you know, kind of like a pemmican. And everyone loved that. It just didn't have any shelf life. Oh. The moisture of the fruit and the nuts and everything together sort of created an environment that wouldn't that wouldn't allow it to have good shelf life. You know, beef jerky, the dirty secret or, or, or the, the way to make money in like most food is your, is your yield rate. So without getting too far into the weeds here, like basically like your input of raw ingredients and then when it's cooked or produced or made or whatever it is, the output has a certain yield, you know, so maybe you only get 50% of the weight of the raw ingredients that you put in. And so that's really like you have to have an okay yield rate to make any money. Yeah. When you make beef jerky without loads of sugar and salt, your yield rates are low. And so it's very expensive to make. And so for us, you know, as as a company that was growing fast, scaling rapidly, we had to make some decisions about which products were sustainable for us to bootstrap and and grow versus which ones were going to just take a lot more investment and a lot longer. And so for us, it was just a decision of like bandwidth and resources and, and where can we you know, where can we scale the, the best? And so we it, it ultimately pivoted to meat sticks because we could get the throughput and we could get the manufacturing and we could get the margins in a place where we could actually grow a business sustainably. I know we may go back to beef jerky at some point. We just needed to be big enough, I think, instead of, you know, continuing to feed the beast. Meat sticks still offer a really high quality source of protein with clean ingredients at a much more accessible price point. And so for us, it also just felt like, you know, we could expand those to more consumers faster versus, I mean, you know this, I mean, shop at any grocery store, any gas station, the bag of beef jerky is like eight bucks, Yeah, you know, and you eat it before you get to the parking lot. And so that's, you know, it's hard to justify today. So it is the meat sticks really resonated with a lot of people. And then the mini meat sticks for kids, there's nothing like it in the marketplace. No one has, no one has duplicated it yet. No one's created like fun flavors that, you know, kids can have access to like a high quality protein source. And so we felt like that was a nice gap in the marketplace to fill. Yeah. So I'm reading the label of the classic beef meat sticks, which I know a lot of them are similar in ingredients. What exactly is encapsulated citric acid? Yeah. Great question. So if you're going to make a meat stick shelf stable, the way you make it shelf stable is you reduce the moisture to a certain level. So moisture is what causes the food to spoil prematurely. So drying it out, i.e. dehydrating like dried fruit or anything like that is what sort of keeps it. Beef products have natural, you know, there's some there's a natural level of fat inside of the beef. Like you can't just it would be a it would be a brick if you didn't have any fat in it. Like you just you couldn't consume it. It would be cardboard. So essentially the citric acid is like vitamin C. The citric acid essentially keeps the moisture levels stable in a natural way. People use all sorts of artificial preservatives to like Slim Jim, like we'll use all sorts of artificial preservatives to keep their sticks shelf stable. You can use lactic acid, which is a naturally occurring substance in our body, or you can use citric acid. Oh, and either one of those sort of keeps the meat sticks stable. The only thing better to do is make it at home for yourself and it lasts a week put it in the refrigerator, and then you have to eat it in that week. Otherwise, if you want to access something like this at the store, it's going to need either a lactic acid or a citric acid to keep the product stable. Otherwise, the moisture levels will will either go up or down rapidly and the product will spoil. Okay. And what about the celery powder? 
Yeah, very similar. So celery powder, celery juice powder, again, it's a substance that allows the product to stay stable, stay, you know, keep the moisture levels within the range that they need to be in order to remain shelf stable. Again, a natural substance, a natural ingredient, you could probably buy at your local grocery store yourself. Okay. And most of these jerkies and I would say beef sticks, but mostly jerky, let's say, broad category, they're using things such as cane sugar, brown sugar, and also soy. I know you became a label reader, but like what actually made you realize that these ingredients could be gut disruptors and impact your health? And what made you kind of go against the grain and not use those? Well, the other ones, instead of, you know, so when you start talking about soy and you start talking about sugar and all these things, the other the other things that are put in a lot of meat snacks are like sodium nitrite or EDTA. And these are like really, really harsh preservatives that are really just bad for you in general outside of gut disruption. I mean, they're just bad to consume. They're in a lot of shelf-stable food products. So, you know, getting rid of those is a big, a big part of what we wanted to do and find natural ways to keep the product shelf-stable. Now, that said, when we first started making beef jerky, Making it without a liquid like soy sauce is really also really hard to do. And so I found coconut aminos years and years and years ago. And just just for reference, you can buy soy sauce by the barrel for a couple bucks a gallon and dump that in. When I first started buying coconut aminos, it was $40 a gallon. And so $40 a gallon versus like $2 a gallon for soy sauce. And so coconut aminos is basically just the, you know, the sat, the nectar of the coconut flour mixed with salt and water. It creates a similar kind of umami flavor profile as the soy sauce, just at a much, much higher price. So that was the one we used in replacement of soy sauce. We no longer make beef jerky, so soy sauce, we don't need a replacement for. But you do have, like, without sugar is really hard. Like, sugar has some, preservative impact on meat snacks excess salt does as well uh, and so you sort of have to pick your poison to some extent we, we've sort of committed to low and no sugar across our entire portfolio i think sugar is probably one of the most inflammatory ingredients that we can consume it's in everything like every single thing that we consume and so to the extent that we can reduce it or remove it we will we've used you know, in our kids' sticks, just to keep them a little more moist and a little more kid-friendly and flavorful, we use a little bit of honey or we use a little bit of um, apple juice and like something just to kind of create some extra moisture in the product itself. But outside of that, uh, we don't really have a, a replacement for sugar. Yeah. So that brings me to the sauces, the noble made sauces. Like I see you have no sugar ketchup. Do you feel like you're just standing strong that we have a product without sugar and it tastes really good? Or are you feeling like in the kitchen, you're using another ingredient to kind of make up for the sugar? No. In fact, I take great pride in this. I don't think you have to trade it all. Okay. I don't think there has to be a trade off for something that's good for you and tastes good. I think for a long time, the sentiment about healthy food or food that's better for you just tastes like crap. And very candidly, a lot of it did and still does. I don't think you have to trade that off. When we launched our barbecue sauce, which we use, you know, we do use an apple cider vinegar and we use, uh, and tomatoes have some natural occurring sugars in them. And we used a splash of pineapple juice in there just to balance the acidity of the vinegar. Uh, when we launched that, you had a couple of options. You had the category leader, which had 16 grams of sugar per tablespoon, which is just, you may as well, I mean, just go <laughs> eat the donuts. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Right. Or you had some sort of alternative sugar sort of diabetic friendly barbecue sauce made with sucralose, which just tasted like garbage. 
And so like, there wasn't really anything that, that was out there. And I'm like, surely we can make barbecue sauce that like doesn't have 16 grams of sugar per ounce, but also doesn't use alternative sugars and tastes like garbage. Can we just try it with like, I don't know, tomatoes and spices and some vinegar and like, can we just try it? So that's what we did. And again, we just found that a little bit of pineapple juice balances out the acidity of the vinegar. You end up with two or three grams of sugar per serving versus 16. And so it's a much, much better situation. And then you don't have this, you're not at zero in some of these, some of them you are in zero because you can do it, but like in, in all of them, you're not at zero, you're two or three so that you don't have to add stuff after the fact to make it taste good. Yeah. I love your sauces. They're super staples in my um, refrigerator and on my videos, everything. I mean, you have all the barbecue sauce, whether you like a mustardy barbecue sauce, smoky barbecue sauce, buffalo barbecue sauce, also original barbecue sauce. And then what else you got? You have ketchup, which everybody needs to grab a bottle of ketchup. Then I see you guys also have some Dijon mustard. Is that right? Yeah, the Dijon mustard is actually really popular. When we were launching ketchup, I remember a discussion with our category buyer at Whole Foods. And they were like, well, you should do something else with a core condiment. And we had kind of been playing around with the Dijon mustard. We'll extend there a little bit later. You know, as as years progress, we'll add one more to that part of the assortment. But, you know, Dijon mustard is so versatile, but it's really good. It was the hardest product to date of everything I've ever made. The hardest product to get the flavor right is really, really hard to nail mustard. Because of the seeds? It's texture and it's it's acidity of the vinegar. And so like it can get very vinegary, it can get very mustard seedy, it can get it can go wrong really easy. Quick. I can tell you that okay. we debated it internally like crazy. There was a batch that came out and I was like, okay, I'm done. This is it. This is our final batch. And Melissa on our team, who's a partner in the business, came to me and she goes, This is the worst tasting mustard I've ever had. I'm like, it tastes great. So then we had this like big debate. And like, we, so anyway, it's a a great product. And then our best selling sauces are our wing sauce. So I think, ingredients aside, I personally, and I'm biased here, but I think that I will challenge anyone out there. I think we make the best wing sauce in America. I would agree. I think it's better than anything else that's in the market hands down. And it's really simple. It's extra virgin olive oil and like vinegar and like cayenne pepper. I mean, it's like the simplest ingredient mix ever. And it is the best tasting. It's our best seller and very quickly and rapidly growing our seasoning blends. Not everybody wants to cook with sauce. Not everybody needs to use sauce on, on everything they do. Some of us just like to sprinkle some seasoning on top of our chicken or whatever it is. And once again, I'll put our organic steak seasoning up against the Montreal steak seasoning any day of the week. Like literally I'll challenge McCormick any day of the week with that product and we'll win. It's not close. Absolutely. So I say your organic steak seasoning, which by the way is organic, it is sea salt. It is cracked black pepper, dehydrated garlic, dehydrated onion, dill seed, and coriander. I'm curious, let's see, McCormick, what do they have steak seasoning you said? Yeah, well, they make a um, Montreal steak is like the most popular steak seasoning in America. When you're shopping for this, especially online, it says no artificial flavors and it's gluten-free. But I always say, hey, don't always believe what you're reading on the front because they're telling you what's not inside. Instead, go ahead and read the ingredients. So it's coarse salt, spices, black pepper and red pepper, garlic, onion. Then they have sunflower oil, which is high in omega-6s. America has too many omega-6s. Probably the meat that you're choosing has too many omega-6s, which is all promoting inflammation. And then they have natural flavors. So they're really trying to like mimic that steak flavor, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Shameful. My favorite thing that people do in an in ingredients brands do is natural flavors. And then they'll, they'll, they'll make a line that says spices, but they don't tell you what those spices are. And so then you have to go down this rabbit hole to figure out, well, what are the spices? Is it something that I'm allergic to? Is it something that might be inflammatory to me? Like, what's the issue with the spices? So it always drove me nuts as a consumer. And it drives me nuts today as a brand, because I, I think we take a lot of pride in transparency. Yeah. So we never know what those spices are. So, so sneaky. sneaky. Tell me this. What's the name Nubal made? What does that actually mean? So, you know, when we, we launched the new Primal, I wanted to come up with a name of a company that would sort of illustrate types of food that might mimic an ancestral eating model, but also to, re- to stay true to the idea that like we don't actually, we can't actually mimic what they did because we don't go hunt and gather our food. And we're not, you know, pulling up, you know, we're not out finding grubs and things like that in the, in the dirt. And so, you know, we shop today, we hunt and gather today in grocery stores. So all we did with the new primal was put together the word new and primal. So here's a new way to try to follow, you know, an ancestral dietary model as close as we can in a modern world. So that was sort of like, that was where new primal came from. And then we used the owl to sort of like signify wisdom as it relates to like choosing what you eat. And so when we launched Noble Made, it was really by accident. And we were, we were actually trying to scale up beef jerky and we were making our recipe separately in our marinade, if you will, and shipping it into a manufacturing facility for them to use to, to make our beef jerky. We didn't trust them to mix the ingredients properly. It just so happens that that marinade worked really well as an all-purpose cooking sauce. And so one of our guys took it home and cooked with it and like came in and was like, guys, it's amazing. You should try it. And so it, it turned into this thing where Whole Foods agreed to launch our marinades before they launched our beef jerky. And so then we went, oh my God, we're launching marinades. What do we do next? And so we launched it very quickly and then it performed really well. And then they asked you know, us to make other things. And so I was like, before we go too far down this rabbit hole, we need to decide are we launching this under the new primal? Do we need to like brand this separately or differently? Or how do we need to think about this? So we ultimately decided to, to rebrand the sauces and condiments and seasonings under a different name. Now, we went through a big, gigantic exercise to do so. We worked with a branding agency, consultancy. We spent a couple of days like in this like intensive process. And, you know, we started with 300 options. Wow. And we whittled them down to five. And of those final five, we sent five of those names through the legal process to see like what's protectable, what's trademarkable. Mm -hmm. We ended up with like three options at the end. And one of those was Noble Made. And it just felt right because, you know, there was something to the idea of talking about how the product is made in the name. And so calling it no, you know, standing for clean ingredients, standing for transparency in the labels, standing for doing something better for the consumer, it's a very noble calling. And so we just felt like, listen, you know, we wanted to tell the consumer right up in front with the name, what they could expect inside of this product. And so that's where we, that's where we sort of landed on Noble Made, but it started with 300 names and we had to kind of work our way down. And then that just sort of is where it fleshed out. Yeah. And we kept the owl. We kept the owl, although a little bit, little bit of a different design, just to pay homage to the origin brand and the new primal. And also to let people know that, again, choosing what you eat wisely makes a lot of sense. And so that's where, that's where that comes from. This is a really great story. I'm glad you shared that because people, people need to know 
sort of what they're getting and what they're investing in and trust the product from hearing that. So tell me, where can people find these amazing sauces, seasoning, and meat sticks, Jason? Yeah, so our biggest our, our biggest retailer is Whole Foods. I mean, if, so everything we make usually starts there. Sprouts Farmer's Market's another really great option if you shop at natural grocery stores. And they have the largest assortment, I would say, of all of our products, both of those retailers. But just about every place you might shop will have something that we make. So whether that's Wegmans in the Mid-Atlantic or Giant Eagle or Rayleigh's on the West Coast or Publix in the Southeast, someone has something that we make. They just don't have the entire broad assortment like a Whole Foods and Sprouts does. And then Amazon. I mean, and Thrive Market. So if you shop online and you shop at Thrive or you shop at and you, you like to buy pantry staples on Amazon, we're on both platforms. A lot of consumers go there. There are subscribe and save options on on both. So if it's something that recurs in your life frequently, you can you can set that up. But those are probably the, the, the biggest outlets. Awesome. And you can also go to the New Primals website and click Story Locator or go to Noble Maid's website and click find us so that you can see which groceries near you have that. So Jason, you've been a wealth of information. I'm so excited to share this product with all of our listeners and our followers. And I have been a fan since day one that I started making videos four plus years ago. I always tell people, they're like, what can I make for lunch? Like the easiest thing to get a rotisserie chicken and just put some noble made barbecue sauce on it. Then you could have a salad, a tortilla wrap or a sandwich, or you can make a quesadilla all with clean tortillas, of course. But it's all just super simple staples that can really make your foods work for you instead of working against you. So I appreciate you, Jason, for sharing your story. Well, I appreciate you for having me. Yeah, we'll talk soon, okay? Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Thank you.